Welcome to the God of My Closet podcast, where we explore life and light of the love who embraces all of our skeletons. I'm your host, Ben DeLong, author of There's a God in My Closet. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be with you again. Um, this episode is um, an interview with my friend Jason Elam. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with him, familiar with his Messy Spirituality podcast. Um, if you're not, go check that out. It is it is really beneficial, really encouraging. Um, a quick announcement that I um, announced last week, or my last episode as well. Um, my book, There's a God in My Closet, uh, is still on sale for $2.99 for the Kindle version on Amazon. Um, so if you would like to check that out, that's on Amazon and the physical copy is still on sale for $9.99 on my website, bedelong.com. Well, without further ado, here is my friend, Jason Elam. Well, hey everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Um, today I, w- I am with, with my friend. I'm going to start that over. <laughs> Since it's just the beginning anyway. <laughs> you have no idea how often I do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's comforting. <laughs> well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Um, today, I'm with my friend, Jason Elam. Jason is just just a great person. I'm just really blessed to get to know him um, through Facebook, and I was um, able to be on his podcast and glad to be able to have him on mine. Um, he is the host of the really great podcast, Messy Spirituality. Um, out of that, he has also started um, a Facebook group called Messy Conversations, which is just a great place to kind of just think out loud in a safe place. Um, And he's also got a book that he is working on that that we'll talk about a little later. But thanks so much, Jason, for for being on here with me. Ben, it's a thrill to be with you on your podcast, man. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, So we we talked before about how um, we both... We have different histories, but we both have some history with the Nazarene Church. That's right. And um, I was looking on Google Maps because um, I know you had said you you grew up near Dayton, That's and right. I I I Googled uh, I looked at the exact town, and it's actually like thirty minutes away from where, where my mom grew up. Really? Yeah, in Lebanon. Oh, okay. Well, that's where all my family lives. Really? Okay. Yes. Were they a part of the Nazarene church there? Or? No, they were pe- Pentecostal free holiness. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's where my mom grew up. She was in a Nazarene church there. And um, I don't know if you've ever been to the golden lamb restaurant. Absolutely. The yeah. uh, hotel to presidents. They pride yeah. themselves on the Abraham Lincoln room. <laughs> yeah. I, um, uh, I was reading this article. It was the most famous restaurant in each state, and that was the one in Ohio. And my my yep. grandpa my grandpa worked there when he was a kid. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, awesome. I know it's really cool. <laughs> so yeah, I'd, I'd love to. You know, we'll talk about a lot of things. It, it um, as is my way. Sometimes it might end up being kind of scatterbrained. A lot of different questions scattered around, but um, just. Uh, would you mind telling us just kind of like your journey of how you like your childhood through your church life and kind of how you got to where you are? Sure. I don't know if I was seven or eight uh, growing up in that Nazarene church near Dayton, Ohio, when the children's revival came to town. 
but the children's revival was led by these two really sweet senior citizens, retired Nazarene ministers. Mm-hmm. I still remember their names, but I've learned to stop using them publicly. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, uh, they came and they did just, it was, it was a great event. It was a lot of fun. There were puppets. I remember that being a really big deal. Um, it was the era of felt board Sunday school oh, yeah. lessons and they brought puppets. So it was an instant upgrade. And so I was really <laughs> excited. We had three or four nights of that. And I remember on the last night of the children's revival, uh, hearing a gospel again, I, I believe that this couple had the best of intentions, mm-hmm. but what I heard that night was God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die in your place so that he doesn't have to punish you for your sins. He punished Mm. Jesus instead. And you put your faith in Jesus to save yourself from God sending you to hell for all eternity. Now, when I heard that message, man, if they would have told me to join, you know, triple a to get out (laughs) of the fire that they were discussing in hell, I would have joined it. I would have done whatever. I would have paid whatever membership fee I could have afforded at that age (laughs) and and done whatever they told me. And so I came forward. I shook the preacher's hand. I prayed. Shortly after that, I was baptized. And I grew up in absolute fear of God. Yeah. Uh, So much so that I I would see a picture of the crucified Jesus, and I just couldn't even look at it because I was just Mm -hmm. so rattled with guilt. Now, religion taught me that was conviction, but I think I've since learned that really it was some trauma that took place uh, very early in my life Mm -hmm. that made it to put this huge gap between me and God, that if God ever really figured me out, he would know Mm. I wasn't worth dying for. Yeah. You know, because the whole premise of you know, you being default destined for hell is that you were born with an original sin stain Mm -hmm. and you're worthless from the beginning, but Jesus comes and dies and recreates you into something beautiful. Mm. And uh, that was definitely my understanding growing up, but uh, that had a very severe impact on my young adult years and then ministry. I Mm. was a local church pastor. I was an associate pastor early on, youth pastor, missionary to Romania. All of that was scarred by the trauma that I went through as a child, believing that God found me reprehensible Mm. and had to take out his fury towards me on someone else. Yeah. 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 It's, um, I, I, I know people think it's supposed to be comforting that, you know, like, like I, you know, when you go to watch the passion of the Christ and I only watch that once, I don't think I'll ever be able to watch it again. Um, you watch that and, and I know it's supposed to be comforting that Jesus went through this and, and it is, if you have it in a certain frame point, but if, if the whole time you're thinking that's what God wanted to do to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty troubling. <laughs> it, it, it is. And it not only to me, but to everyone else I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, my wife, she's wonderful and, and amazing, but she can't even stand to watch movies like that because yeah. of the associations. Mm, she's yeah. just not a violent person anyway. But to think that God had to put Jesus through something like that yeah. for her 
that's just, I mean, like, a, there's just really no other word I can use but traumatic. Yeah. Well, and it's, um, you know, it's kind of like when somebody grows up in like a dysfunctional family, um, there's just this like low grade stress that's constant, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I kind of feel like that that's how it is with what you're talking about. And, and what I experienced too in the church is that like, if that, you know, if that's the presence of God that you understand, it's like, you you never get away from that stress. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah. And you know, when I was about 12, I had my tonsils taken out and when they put me under, they gave me too much of the medication. And I'm just going to get really weird on you now. You can edit this out if you choose to. <laughs> um, but they gave me too much medication and I died on the operating table during yeah. a tonsillectomy, which should be a very simple procedure, obviously. Yeah. And I, I literally heart stopped. They had to bring the paddles of life to shock my heart back into rhythm to bring me back. Yeah. And I didn't know that that had happened. But when I woke up from the surgery, I had... I remembered this experience that took place. You know, it was that cliche tunnel and there's a light at the other end of the tunnel and I'm moving towards the light. And the closer I get to the light, the, I realize that the light is a figure mm. that there's a, a being looking, it looks like a human being radiating this incredible light. And in that light, I had absolute acceptance and absolute love. Mm. And, and I knew that I was important. I knew that my life mattered. Mm. I knew that I was accepted just like I was. And I also knew as I started to move away from that light that my life wasn't over yet. Now, I woke up thinking that that was some drug-induced dream. Yeah. But then I hear my mom talking to a friend of hers on the phone thinking I'm asleep about losing me and how they had brought me back to life using those paddles. So my whole teenage years and young adult life in ministry were this back and forth between the legalism that comes with, you have to earn the blessing of God. You have to live up to what Jesus did on the cross. Yeah, Being torn between that and there's nothing for you to do. You rest mm-hmm. in what's already been done. Yeah. And so it really kind of made me a... Uh, double-minded preacher. I talked a lot about the love and grace of God, but then I would tell you what you had to do to be worthy of it. And I I really regret that. I'm so sorry for so much of my ministry at this point. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, um, it's interesting that you say that because that, um, that was something I I was trying to articulate in, in my writing as well. An experience I had as well is like, you know, you're told, well, um, you you're going to go to hell unless you um, do take this wonderful gift that God has given you and you take it. And then there's a huge catch <laughs> afterwards right? That, that you have to live up to these things. And yeah, you're, you're right. It is a, uh, it's a very tension filled existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, when we, I moved and settled in Alabama right before I became an adult, late in the teenage years. Mm-hmm. And we joined a Southern Baptist church. My license in ministry, Southern Baptist. My ordination was Southern Baptist. Yeah. And, and we were really good at grace. And almost nobody in Alabama would know 
who Jesus was if it wasn't for some Baptist or some Methodist with a heart for souls, right? We'd go yeah. door knocking and do visitation and all that kind of stuff. But we talked a lot about grace and we love that phrase, unconditional love. Mm-hmm. But then we would always say, now here's what you do to, uh, we, we wouldn't use the words to be worthy of it, but that's what we're saying. Yeah. Here's what you do in light of this unconditional love. And so the message that we send is, yes, God loves you unconditionally. Now be worthy of it. Now get your act together. Now read right. six chapters of the Bible a day. Pray, have a quiet time, go to church, get involved in ministries, teach Sunday school, do all the right things in order to prove yourself worthy yeah. of the cross, which, you know, how could anybody do that? Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Well, you... um I I know that you talk a lot about how your wife has just been a, a pivotal part um, in your spiritual healing and and um, I I love hearing that because I like it's just the same for me like I I wouldn't be where I am without my without my wife and and how she's helped me um, do you want to talk a little bit about that like what what impact she's had on your life Yeah absolutely I think in order to understand the impact that Brandy's had on my life you'd have to understand uh, the context of it, which is I got married when I was a missionary to Romania. Mm -hmm. I was married to a Romanian who um, had been raised in a very violent atmosphere and only knew violence as a response to stress or fear. Yeah, She would get very defensive. And we had a very turbulent marriage that lasted a little over nine years. Uh, we had a daughter together and she's, the daughter's just incredible. Um, but we share custody of her now. That marriage ended uh, after a little over nine years. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with, like in Alabama, where I spent most of my life now, there, we have these barbecue restaurants. Do you have barbecue restaurants in where you live, Ben? Um, not, not so much. Well, a few in California, but we, but we, okay. we used to live in Kansas city. So we, we Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Kansas city barbecue. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, we have these little wooden racks that hold the paper towels. Cause you know, barbecue's messy. Especially oh yeah. If you're eating yeah. ribs or something. Right. Yeah. Well, I got, I got clocked over the head with one of those and that was kind of the final straw for mm. me. Um, I was, um, I had just resigned from pastoring a church and was already in a very, I don't know who I am phase mm. of my life because my yeah. identity was so tied up in pastoring that church yeah. or just pastoring in general. And so I had nothing to lose. It wasn't going to cost me my church to leave her. Yeah. And so when our little uh, three-year-old girl went and hid under the table after that incident, um, I took my daughter and and left and filed for divorce and uh, almost immediately started dating my current wife. Um, we had known each other previously. We, me and my first spouse and she and her first spouse had actually served together at a church. Mm. And so, you know, you can imagine, <laughs> especially in the Baptist circles that I kind of ran in in Alabama in the middle of the Bible belt, mm. um, when two folks in those circumstances start dating, the rumors begin to fly and yeah. people start questioning everything that ever happened back at that church, which none of that was true. But yeah. the, the awesome thing is that even though we both will acknowledge now, I think that we kind of rushed into things uh, after our first marriages ended. Yeah. Um, she's just been incredible. I mean, she knew 
all the junk in my life and she knew all the stuff that I'd struggled with. She knew um, what was hard for me about being a husband in my first marriage and she knew all the pain that I'd been through and she just loved me anyway. And she Mm -hmm. has just been the best representation of the love of God to me. Um, You know, she's, we will actually celebrate our 12th wedding anniversary on Monday Mm. and she just continues to be um, the best reminder to me of the love of God. She's learned a lot more about me in those 12 years and some of it's not pretty, you know? (laughs) Uh, But the one thing that I've never doubted is that she loves me. And so that's just this steadying whisper of grace, this little echo of heaven in my Mm. life that I appreciate so much. Yeah. Um, a lot of what I, I hear you saying, and I've heard you say before, and, and it's definitely my experience too, is that there, there's healing when, when people see the real you and they don't cringe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and can you imagine how transformative it would be if every single one of us believed that that's how God knows us? Yeah. That he, that God, I, I, I always resort back to he, that's the pronoun I was taught. I know that yeah. that's wrong. But if we could really see how completely known yet absolutely loved and accepted we are yep. in, in light of God's love, I think it would just set every single one of us free. I, I mean, what more do we have to fear if yeah. that's the reality of our lives? Yep. Mm. Yeah, I, I've, yeah, I've really been reflecting on lately just how and it, and it's hard to accept this some days, but it's like everything that you've ever wanted down deep in your heart is, is already true. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think I'd said something on Facebook last week, and I think you had, it resonated with you and, and a few others. If, if we, uh, real peace begins by knowing that, mm. by finally accepted that we've been accepted all along. That, yeah. that we have had it the whole time. Everything our heart has longed for is already true. And there's no hoops to jump through. There's nothing we can do. And when we see the magnitude of the love of God, we realize the only, the only response is to rest in it, yeah. to be grateful. You know? And that even the great gratitude doesn't earn it. It doesn't yeah. make him love us anymore. It just, it's an embrace. It's reaching back to the one yeah. who reached for us. Hmm. So what is, what is um, maintaining a healthy spiritual life look for you now? Like what, what kind of practices do you do to kind of rest in that place? Well, it's looking different now than it ever has before. There was a time in my life where healthy spiritual practice looked like reading a certain number of chapters of the Bible every day or, you know, listening to a Christian book on tape or having Mm -hmm. that quiet time, that devotion, whatever. For me today, it's more like uh, listening to podcasts Mm. where people are encountering the love of God or or describing the height and the depth of the love of God. Yeah. Um, It's sitting on a beach watching a sunset. Yeah. That's been huge in my life after, you know, over 20 years of local church ministry, our church closed last year. And Mm. that was um, just, oh, it was so hard. It it felt like Mm. a death. There was literally a grieving process because we had just fallen in love with this little community 
um, where we were doing this free market on Sunday mornings. And after the market had been going for a while, where we're feeding our neighbors, some of those neighbors said, well, hey, can we do a worship service? And so once mm. a month, we were doing a worship service and having communion. And, and it's just incredible when it's not, you know, you're not trying to be church or do church and you're not trying to uh, impress the community and fill the seats. And when there's not the pressure of church, oh. it, there's just Jesus's table. Mm. And it's not our table and it's not our guest list and we don't get to decide who's in and who's out. And when it's just open to everybody and when the folks are hungry for it and relationships have been developed, it's just so beautiful. Mm. But, you know, we were, we were spending all of the money that came in on the, uh, the food that we would give away in that free market. And so yeah. we just couldn't maintain the building long-term. And so it closed. But when that <clears throat> happened, um, it really kind of changed a lot of things for me as far as spiritual discipline. I went through a season where I didn't want anything to do with the Bible. Yeah. Um, but I think my childhood trauma had a lot to do with that. What I had been told the Bible meant had become the glasses through which I read what the Bible said. Mm, yeah. Um, and, then, and then the weight of inerrancy is so hard. And it's, it's so yeah. heavy that sometimes we need to fast that. Sometimes we need a sabbatical from the Bible in order to be able to pick it up and see it through fresh eyes for what it maybe was intended to be rather than what we thought it was. Hmm. Um, So I don't read a lot of the scriptures now, to be honest with you. I I pray, uh, but it's not like I'll have a quiet time where I pray for an hour in the morning. I'll, I'll pray more just like this running conversation in my head Hmm. with God when things come up, when things happen. Um, a lot of my prayers lately have been for people who are hurting, mm-hmm. uh, who are alone as we go through this season of COVID-19. Uh, the, the stories that affected me most deeply were the, the folks who were dying alone on respirators. Mm-hmm. Their family couldn't be with them. You know, sometimes they would get a FaceTime chat before they died. Sometimes they would just die in this room alone. Yeah, And so I spent a lot of time praying for people like that, praying for the doctors and the nurses and the nursing assistants that are traumatized by watching this take place Yeah, uh, from the sons and daughters who can't be with their parents, from the brothers and sisters, the parents and who can't be with their children and all of those who get damaged in the wake of this. And so that's a lot of my prayer life right now. But mm. when, after the church closed, um, we had chased my dream for, you know, 11 years at that point. And so yeah. my wife's dream was to live at the beach. And so we left Alabama, moved to the panhandle of Florida. And so we'll just go out and we'll just sit and we'll just watch a sunset when we can see it from the secluded beach where we go. Um, and it's just been incredible. There's, it's, mm. it's an act of faith for me. It's, it's hope that uh, even though there's nothing I did to cause the sun to come up this morning, and nothing I can do from stop, to stop it from going down tonight, I believe it's going to come up again tomorrow, that we're going to have fresh opportunities to encounter the love of God and to be the love of God in the lives of other people. Mm. And so to me, sitting on that beach, watching that sunset, that's a spiritual discipline. Mm. Telling stories, letting people share their stories of, of encounters with the love of God. Probably the greatest encounter that I've ever had since that uh, death uh, on the hospital operating table uh, since that tunnel experience was walking around the gym uh, mm. in Alabama, walking around the track at the gym 
uh, listening to Jonathan Martin interview Brad Jerzak. Oh, yeah. I, it was just this incredible, detailed outpouring of the love of God. And I, I, the only way I can describe it is an old Baptist phrase. It felt like waves of liquid love crashing over my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking around the track just sobbing. <laughs> and I know that the people there in the gym working out must have thought I was having some kind of breakdown, right? <laughs> but yeah. but it, it, it changed me. And I had been on the fence already about a lot of things. Um, LGBTQ acceptance was one that I struggled with for years because mm. in the buckle of the Bible belt, it was going to cost us yeah. to take that stand. And I was trying to balance, you know, how do we love the people we have yeah. without losing them, uh, but maintain this position. But man, after those waves of liquid love crashed down, I didn't care anymore. Mm. Yeah. And so very soon after that, some people, who had been my right hands at the church came to me and said, you know, we need to know you talk awful lot. You talk more about the love of God than you ever have. You talk about, we don't have to do anything to deserve the love or to be in the family. So what's your position now on homosexuality? Is it a sin? Are these people going to hell? Do we need to save them? And Mm -hmm. I I just had to, in a very (laughs) vulnerable moment of honesty with people that I trusted, I just said, no, I don't, I don't believe that anymore. And yeah. I can't believe that anymore. The love of God is for everybody and there's yeah. no exclusions and there's no conditions. Mm. And they left the church. They left the church and I, I, I never saw that coming. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had feared it, but I didn't think they would be the ones to leave. Mm. And they left and that began the unraveling that led to the church closing. Um, but man, to know that, <laughs> that love, and to be able to look people in the eye and believe in that love and tell them about that love, it's yeah. worth it. And, and I'm, I'm grateful to be on the outside of the institution looking in. Yeah. <clears throat> Towards the end, um, you talked about how grateful you were to have that church experience of just um, being able to help so many people. Do, did you feel like you got to a place where you could um, pastor like from that point of view with that love, like, cause I, I think that's such a challenge because the, the institution is, you know, it makes it hard sometimes. Like, did you feel like you got to the place where you could do that? I think it was really easy on the free market days to do that because yeah. the people were coming. We had no expectations of them. You know, when you, when you're a pastor and you've got a membership in a congregation, there, there are some expectations of members, right? Yeah. And I think some of that's unhealthy and mm-hmm. maybe should have never been there. Uh, uh, David Hayward, the naked pastor, has a cartoon that I saw this morning. I'm not sure if it's new or one of his older ones that's just resurfaced, but yeah. it's Jesus taking a, a, a chalk or a marker and writing on a picture of the church, a, an outline of a, a steeple. This was not my idea. Mm. <laughs> and that grabbed me. Yeah. Because that, that really resonates with where I am right now. I'm not sure the institution was ever his idea. When Jesus starts talking about his church and building his church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it and all that, I don't think he had what we do on Sunday mornings in mind. Yeah, yeah. But that market, to me, that, that could be church. Mm. That, that open table, that time of encountering the love of God around a shared table, that could be church. yeah. Uh, so I think it depends on what you're talking about. I think um, I, as far as pastoring, I don't think it's something I would ever 
really do the same way again because yeah. I don't I don't feel like Christian leadership is really a thing anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, there's Jesus, our brother, and we're all seated around his table, and we all have something to learn from one another. And I think this mindset of one person telling us what God has to say has to go for us to ever enter into what he's, um, mm. what he's called us to. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, um, I remember talking to my wife one time. Um, we were, um, we had like a month and a half stretch where we were going down to her parents a couple hours away every weekend just to kind of help them out. Cause they were going through some health issues and, and, um, and we, we were going to church with them on Sunday and, and it, it was a Nazarene church that my wife grew up in. And, 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 you know, this, this is no, absolutely no fault of them at all. It's just kind of my baggage, but I just, I eventually told Irene, I was like, I, I can't go today. Like, because when I, when I'm in that environment, I'm, I stop being Ben and I start being Reverend DeLong and I hate that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. That, that is very much a shared experience that we have in common. Yeah. Um, when I go there, it, you almost feel all those expectations and, and the performance and what you were trained to be Yeah. rather than who you are. Yep. And that's such yeah. a struggle. And what, you know, if those people there need anything from you and I'm, you know, I'm not sure that's the case every single time, but if they do what they need more than anything is your authentic self. Mm, yeah. And that reverend thing, man, that's such a prison. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At least it was for me. I mean, it got so bad. My grandfather died uh, several years back and he, he was a very simple, humble farmer in Lebanon, Ohio. Mm. And, um, he had the last several years of his life were ravaged by Alzheimer's, but this guy mm. was a hero. And I thought of him as a spiritual giant, um, probably didn't have much theology in common, but he was just one of the people that seemed to be the most godly of anyone that I knew. Mm. And so when he died, I was all caught up in the titles and the, and the Reverend Jason Elam and the business cards and the position and, and yeah. climbing the ladder of leadership. When he died, it just struck me. No, this man in this casket, he wasn't wrapped up in any of that. Yeah. But he radiated the love of God. And, and one of my cousins preached the funeral and had the packed chapel stand. If he had influenced them towards heaven and mm -hmm. this room, just stood up in mass, you know, because the simple farmer, this retired bus driver for the Lebanon city schools had made such an impact on so many people just by being who he was. Mm. And that so deeply affected me. I had my Bible in my hand that said, Reverend Jason, Eli. I was so proud of that. And I put it in the casket with him mm. because I didn't want to be that guy anymore. Yeah. I, I wanted to be more like the farmer and less like the preacher, uh, the, the pastor, the, the Bible degree guy. Yeah. Mm. Well, part of my, and nobody ever really said this to me, but I felt like, cause I'm, um, I'm a pretty good public speaker. Like I'm pretty good when I, when I get up and preach. Um, but people, when you're talking about what being a pastor means, people put so much emphasis on that. Mm -hmm. And like, if you do that, you must be a good pastor. And it's like, well, yeah, but you still have to like, 
like work with people gently and and um like there's so many other things to it and um and if you don't if you don't have like if you haven't gone through your stuff it's so easy to get manipulative in that process right absolutely and and i don't think any of us are really equipped for it yeah the bible college i went to didn't equip me for it i don't know that the seminary equips that many people for it as well or either because we we end up being counselors Mm -hmm. and i don't know very many pastors that are good counselors but we're pushed into that role because we can be a public speaker because we can put a couple of sentences together behind a pulpit on Sunday morning. They assume we know what we're talking about and yeah. they come to us with real life problems that we've never experienced and don't know how to diffuse. Yeah. And so that's why yeah. we end up turning out, you know, clones of, well, you know, just read the Bible more and pray more. Yeah. And I, I did this Bible study once that really helped me instead of, you know, getting folks real mental health help and sometimes medication that they need. Mm, yeah. We give Pat Sunday school answers because that's all we've got. Mm. And I think yeah. it's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely can be too. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, just kind of what, what you're working on. Um, your, um, your podcast is just excellent. I love listening to it. You have a lot of great guests and, and you're a very good, um, very good interview as well, uh, interviewer as well. Oh, thanks. Um, man. I appreciate that. That means a lot coming from you. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, you talk a little bit about your podcast for someone who maybe hasn't heard it yet. Kind of where your, where your heart is for that. Sure. Uh, it's the messy spirituality podcast. It's named after a Mike Iaconelli book. Mike was one of the founders of youth specialties. And as a youth pastor early on, they really impacted me. He also wrote a book called getting fired for the glory of God (laughs) about pushing all the boundaries and buttons in church for the sake of your teenagers, which I was really impressed by. He's passed on a number of years ago, but he and Brennan Manning are kind of the patron saints of our podcast that we okay. yeah. turn to time and time again for inspiration. Nice. Um, it's really about hearing people's stories and uh, um, unpacking the stories of people who, you know, grew up one way and then had a rediscovery about who God is. Um, I'm not a fan of that word deconstruction, but it seems to be the way most people refer to a spiritual evolution. Yeah. And uh, so we talk a lot about spiritual evolution and transformations that, that people have made in their Mm. lives as a result of the love of God or just relearning something about God. Um, I love doing it. Honestly, I started the podcast just so I could talk to people I wanted to talk to that I was hearing (laughs) on other podcasts. Yeah. Uh, But it's been absolutely transformative for me. Um, Mm. I told you about the experience of listening to Brad Jerzak. Yeah. And in episode six of our podcast, I got to talk to Brad Jerzak and he's just the most gracious, loving wonderful human being. I've interviewed his wife. I've interviewed their friend, Paul Young, who wrote The Shack. And that Mm -hmm. was just a transformative episode for me. Yeah. Um, So I highly recommend podcasting to anybody who who wants to talk to people who have encountered the love of God. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I kind of had a little bit of similar experience. Like a lot of my, um, just kind of helping to reform how I was seeing things came from listening to podcasts. And I started doing that like in 2014. And, um, did you ever listen to the beyond the box podcast? I did. Yeah, sure. did. Yeah. Yeah. Really I, loved it. Yeah. It was, yeah, I, I loved it a lot. I'm hoping to have, um, 
chat with Rayborn Johnson um, at some point. Um, but that, yeah, that podcast was really um, transform transformative for me as well. And, and Brad Jerzak was one of the ones on there, and um, and they had a lot of good other other uh, guests on there too. But yeah, just just listening to people tell their stories was really powerful. Absolutely. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about? Um, I I know it's there's not a real um, tight timeline yet for your book, but do you want to talk about kind of what that's going to be about and what you're putting into it? Yeah, I've, I've probably been working on the book, at least in my head for 15 years. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad I didn't write it 15 years ago because it would not be worth reading. <laughs> uh, but today, um, you know, I, my vision for the book, the way, the way it seems to be turning into is it's kind of half um, guidebook for spiritual evolution mm-hmm. and half memoir of mm. my spiritual evolution. Yeah. Um, it's called from ashes. We rise mm. um, holding on to faith when life burns down mm. uh, is the uh, subtitle that we're kind of toying with right now, because that's, that's what happened to me. You know, when I yeah. walked away from ministry and, and uh, felt like I'd lost everything and, you know, that first marriage had crumbled and friends would not return my phone calls and mm. people who had been cheering for me to speak at the denominational convention didn't want to talk to me anymore, admit they knew me anymore. Mm. Um, when I lost everything and how God rebuilt a life that is today beyond anything that I ever could have imagined years yeah. ago. And I'm so grateful for just being shaped by the love of God. Uh, he's so good to constantly remind me that I don't have it all figured out mm. and that that's not the point. Yeah. For a long time, I thought, you know, the authority and the anointing in my preaching was based on how certain I was mm. of what I believed. And today I believe almost the opposite, that uncertainty, that, that engaging the doubts and taking seriously the question, struggling with scripture, struggling with church and the way we do it that that is where I encounter God and, and where God constantly removes obstacles that uh, exist between me and other people. Yeah. And so I'm really excited about the book. I, I do think it will be out this year. Okay. We're having to kind of rework some things just because of COVID-19. Yeah. As, as I told you before we went on air, I just can't imagine books coming out after COVID-19, not at least referring to them. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm going to work on doing that here in the next couple of weeks. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you're also going to be um, next month, you're going to be speaking at the, the Nomad Conference. Um, yeah. did, do you want to share a little bit about what, what that's going to be about and, and what people can expect? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Nomad 2020 was the brainchild of my friend Carl Forehand. Ben, you know mm. Carl? Oh yeah. Yep. I had him on. on, He was my first guest actually. Oh, awesome. Okay. Very good. Carl's a fantastic guy. He's a really, really humble guy. Um, He's not somebody who you would think would push his way to the front of a, a, you know, church and demand the spotlight. He's Mm. very unassuming, but he has really great ideas and really big ideas. And so he started dreaming about a conference of pulling together non-celebrity Christian thinkers Mm-hmm. Um, just to talk about their own experience of wandering through the desert of spiritual evolution. And so he ended up pulling together 12 speakers. I'm grateful that I'll be kicking off the event with the first talk. Mm-hmm. And then Carl and I will together do the closing session. 
Okay. But okay. in between those two sessions, you'll have, you know, Kyle Butler, Derek Day, Keith Giles, Dr. Katie Valentine, PK Langley, Carl and his wife, Laura, Cody and Elaine Johnston. Mm. Um, so many folks that are just fantastic. Todd Vick is going to be on there. Just fantastic oh, yeah. speakers who are going to share from their heart. I've gotten a little taste of what they're going to be sharing and man, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be a virtual event, which is cool because you don't have to worry about getting exposed to a virus for one thing, of course, yeah. but also you can watch it at your convenience for up to 30 days after the event. You get the okay. registration fee and then you can watch it for up to 30 days. And we're working on an opportunity to maybe make it available to you even longer than that. So you can go back mm. and and watch it again and again if you want to, uh, the different sessions. So yeah. I'm really excited. It's June 5th through the 7th. So that's coming up here really soon. Yeah. Um, but if folks want information about that, they can just check out jasonelam.org or messyspirituality.org is the kind of the website I point folks to. And that'll have a link to the uh, Nomad 2020 website. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll put that in the, in the episode notes. Awesome. Um, yeah, and it's, it's really, I, I think another benefit of the virtual um, format is that it's, it's just not nearly as expensive as a lot of other ones are. Right. Yeah. Th and that's something that we've tried to be really mindful of. Carl's been great about trying to keep the price as low as we can. We've got to pay for the apparatus that delivers the conference, but yeah. that's pretty much the only expense. And so we're grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I registered for it myself. And I mean that. Oh man, um, I'm so glad you're coming. You know what yeah. I'm really looking forward to about Nomad is the uh, interactive panel discussions. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. Uh, every, every couple of sessions, we're going to be able to like get together on zoom along with people who are watching at home at their homes and, you know, talk about how it's resonating with you, the listener or the viewer. And so I'm really looking forward. That's probably what I'm looking forward to most is that interaction. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I had one other question I'll, we can kind of end with. Um, okay, great. This, this will be kind of a, um, well, you, you might have to think about this for a minute. Um, we'll see. <laughs> um, it's kind of a two part question. What, um, what is God helping you die to these days? And, and what new life are you seeing come out of that? Um, I think every pastor I know personally um, has things that they were taught by their system or maybe just their ego yeah. to not reveal about themselves. Mm, and yeah. our secrets kill us. Yeah. So many men and women of um, some of great renown and, and some who, you know, aren't celebrities, but have, you know, big churches or whatever they've struggled with. If the people really knew that I struggled with this or dealt with this, mm. then they wouldn't follow me or yeah. they wouldn't respect me or they wouldn't love me or receive me or accept me. And, you know, to some degree, you don't have to be a preacher to experience that, right? We all believe yeah. that in one way or another about ourselves and the people who, who we trust to love us. But, uh, for me, it's just been the unpacking. It's, it's being vulnerable. It's mm. being willing to talk about the stuff that I stuffed way down deep for so long. And I was terrified mm. that anybody would know, yeah. but that's where life is. That's where peace is. That's where, um, acceptance is. Mm. You know, I, I, I asked God one time, you know, God, why doesn't anybody love me for me? 
just in a in a moment of self serving uh, yeah. <laughs> resentment, and and God's response to me was was really striking. It was, but Jason, how could they? Mm. You've never let anybody see who you really are. Mm, so you're good. so busy trying to impress people, and get them to respect you, that you don't put enough of yourself out there for them to love. Yeah. And so um, I, I've started to realize that that's that's where the life is. It's in the vulnerability. Mm. And so I'm trying to die to pretense mm. and to embrace vulnerability. And I'm not good at it. And it's the opposite of everything I tried to do for almost 25 years in ministry, but yep. it's where the life is. It's mm. so good. Well, Jason, thank you so much for, for taking time. It's always a, a pleasure to interact with you. Well, Ben, I love you, brother. I'm so grateful for you and your work and your book and your podcast. And I'm looking for great stuff in the future as well. Thank yeah, you I love for being you. you. I love you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love you too, man. Um, guys, check out Jason's work, his podcast, um, the Nomad Conference, look out for his book. And and just um, uh, just be a friend with him on Facebook. He's, he's a great source of encouragement with his, um, he just always has some. And I, and I think it does come out of that you're learning to be vulnerable. There's a lot of beauty there. I appreciate that, man. And I'm looking forward to connecting to the folks who listen to your podcast as well. Great. Sounds good, man. Bye. Well, I, I love Jason. And I, I think you can see why if you weren't familiar with him already, I'm sure you can see why um, I love that guy. It's so, um, you know, it's no coincidence that the more I talk to people who are on this journey of working towards spiritual health, there is just that common theme of experiencing love um, in the places where we feel like we can't be loved. Um, as Jason talked about, like sharing those parts of us that we've kept down um, underneath, afraid of what people would think of us, like bringing them out and experiencing love in those places and, and that darkness in our closets, whatever we want to call them. Um, it's so important. Well, thank you so much for listening. And as always, you are in him, and he is in you. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Take care.